0: Hey Grumoff family, Travis here at Miles City and I'm here on our stage where we just wrapped up our Kids Hooked Pirate Kids Day Camp and I know you did as well. Uh, you guys wrapped up your kids camp and had an incredible experience and I just want to say thank you for being a church that keeps and always focusing on investing in the next ge- generation. It's so, so important. It's so, so critical for us to be churches that do that. Well, it was a few weeks ago where I took my daughter, Lena Joe for a run. She was biking, I was running. And I love doing that because for two reasons. One, I get to spend more time with my Lena Joe. But the other reason is, is that it helps motivate me to push me to run a little bit faster. Because sometimes she'll kind of go way ahead of me, and I go after her, and then, you know, she'll drift back, and it just kind of helps me not stall out and stay motivated. So during this run, we were at Kensington Park, and during this run, uh, I, I ran down this big hill and I noticed that she didn't fly past me didn't think too much of it and I just kept running on my path well then the second hill came down and I ran down that hill and I still didn't see my Lena Joe. so then at that point there is this conscience in me that started to mess you know a little bit of maybe I should turn around and go check on Lena but I didn't really want to to be honest with you because I was about a half mile out before my actual turnaround marker for my run but I just, it kept messing with me and parents, you know, that feeling. I finally was like, okay, I need to turn around. So I headed and I started to turn around and I started to go back to find Len and Joe. And as I turned around, uh, it started to sprinkle a little bit. It started to rain. And then these thoughts started to mess with my mind. Well, maybe she was running down one of the hills, and, and she skidded her bike, and she fell off and cracked her head open. Or, or maybe some creep just came out of the woods and to, was trying to take her. Or I don't know if I'm the only one who messes with their mind this way. So then I literally turned into Usain Bolt, and I'm just like sprinting as fast, as fast as I can to try to reach JoJo. And then I'm starting to curve, come around the bend, come around the curve, and sure enough, there I see her with her bike. Chain fell off. Chain fell off, we're trying to get the chain back on, but then the thunder comes, the lightning comes, and then it's just a torrential downpour on us. And so we're taking the bike, running back, we're running back to the truck. Here we are, we finally get back to the truck. Here's a little clip of it here. we made it. Glad I turned around, bike's broke. Not a problem, not a problem, what a mem. So we're making memories. We get back in the truck, get the bike in the truck, and and we're we're shivering. We're sopping wet. We're laughing. And then my Lena Joe leans into me and says, Daddy, thank you so much for turning around for me. Oh, right. But what I was thinking was, thanks for ruining my run, girl. Just kidding. I didn't think that. I didn't think that. But the reason why I tell you that story is because the theme of today is turn around. Wherever you're watching, I want you to say that out loud. Turn around. Some of you literally turned around wondering if there's something behind you. Just kidding. But this is the idea of turn around. And what we're going to do, how we're going to investigate this, is we're going to look at the first miracle of Jesus, public miracle in his ministry, where he turned things around in a wedding. There was a problem, and he turned it around. And my hope is... Uh, Wherever you're at on your journey, whether you've been following God for decades or maybe just for a few days, or maybe you're still like, no way, I'm not following it, my hope is that all of us would be like, open ourselves to be honest with the idea that all of us at some point will need a turnaround and maybe you need a turnaround in your life right now too maybe you need a turnaround when it comes to your marriage maybe you need to turn around when it comes to your finances or a relationship or you need a turnaround when it comes to an addiction that you keep coming back to or or maybe you're thinking man our country just needs a little bit of a, of a turnaround whatever it is for you or or or, or maybe if you're honest There is something inside of you where just like I was kind of like saying, no, I'm not going to turn around on that run with my daughter, that there's something that keeps pressing in on you, that you keep pushing off, that you keep throwing to the side, that maybe, just maybe, this turnaround story of Jesus will finally get you to turn around. And that's our goal and our hope for today. But before we turn into this text, I want to pray for you and pray for me. Father, thank you so much for getting us all here in this spot to listen to your word. Father, thank you for Grumlaw Church. Thank you for Shay and Andrea. Uh, Thank you for the gift that they are to Grumlaw and just the leadership that they provide to this great church. I'm so thankful for them. Father, I ask that you would get me out of the way and that you would control my mind and my pace as I speak. I pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, if you have a copy of the scriptures, I want to invite you to open it up to the book of John. The book of John, it's one of the Gospels of the New Testament. Now, just so you know, the Gospels are the story of Jesus. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's four of them. And within those four Gospels, there's 37 miracles that are recorded. John only records eight of them. Now, we know that there was many more miracles that Jesus did. And, and, and John even tells us that uh, at the end of the book in John chapter 20. He says this, Now, Now Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, that you might have life in his name. And again, my hope is that maybe, just maybe, this turnaround miracle story of Jesus that we're diving into here might actually be the point for you to finally turn around and turn to Jesus so that you might believe and have life. And so, we'll kick off here chapter 2 starting in verse 1. Here's how here's what it says. It says on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. There was a wedding there on the third day. Now the third day was referring most likely to the previous chapter when Jesus called Philip and Nathanael to be his followers. At this point, including John, Jesus had called five of his disciples. Talk about a turnaround event. Literally dropping everything that they knew, their work and everything, to follow Jesus. And it says that they were in the land of Cana. This is nine miles northeast of where Jesus grew up in Nazareth. I say that little fact just because I know for some of you might be a skeptic watching, should you buy this or not? This is a literal, real event that took place in a real place on our map in our world. Look it up. This isn't just made up. This isn't just make believe. Now, it says that they were going to a wedding. Now, this was a big deal kind of a wedding. The weddings back then in this culture were even more of a big deal than what we make weddings in our culture. They were lavish, and check this out, they lasted for a week. I mean, can you imagine being the bride's parents paying for a week wedding and just for a day wedding, okay? And then what's also interesting is that back then, the bride's parents wouldn't pay for the wedding. In their culture, it was the groom's parents. And so I know for some of you thinking, uh, you know, fathers of brides are thinking, oh my goodness, why the switch? And for some of you that are, have sons and they're getting married, you're thinking, thank God for that turnaround. But that's not the turnaround that we're talking about today. Let's keep going. So then it says that the mother of Jesus was there. Mary, the mother of Jesus was there. So because we have this information, uh, it shows us that most likely uh, this was a family member or a relative Uh, that this wedding that Jesus was attending and then it says this it says that Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples and I just want to pause here for a moment just a little side note when it comes for some of you you might be thinking about getting married or you're planning a marriage right now or you're planning a wedding right now I just want to encourage you invite Jesus to your wedding have you invited Jesus to your wedding yet If you haven't, I'm telling you, it will be the best decision you could ever make in your marriage, in your wedding, is to make Jesus the center of your wedding. How sad is it for me when I go to weddings and Jesus isn't the center of the wedding? People ask me to do their wedding sometimes and they don't want Jesus to be the center of their wedding. I was like, you got the wrong guy because I can't even do that in my vocabulary, do a wedding without making Jesus be the center. But when I see weddings where they, a, a, a new couple, a young couple, an older couple comes together in union with Jesus as the center, I'm telling you, it is a stinking game changer. Invite Jesus to your wedding. And listen, married couples out there that are watching, you might be thinking right now, things aren't that great. Things are kind of on the rocks, things are just kind of coasting. Your marriage isn't doing that well, and you're looking for a turnaround. I'm telling you, when you make Jesus or get Jesus back into the center of your marriage, it works. I'm not saying it makes it easier. It's just, you know, rainbows and lollipops the whole time. It's still hard work, but you got a better shot of serving one another the way that God intended us to serve one another as married couples. And so put Jesus in the driver's seat. It's way, way better. Now, husbands, this is just for you. This is just, or just, I want you to just zone in here, husbands that are watching, or if you're engaged and you're about to get married, please listen to this. Here's a question. When was the last time that you grabbed your wife's hand, not just for physical affection, but for a spiritual connection? Let me, just, let me just say that again. When was the last time you grabbed your sweetheart's hand, not just to, you know what I mean, but to actually have a spiritual connection, to pray with your spouse, to pray with your fiance. Couples that pray together, you've heard this maybe, couples that pray together, stay together. And if you can't remember the last time you prayed with your spouse, then it's way too long. Try it, I dare you. If you're looking for an ammo, if you're looking for something to kind of stir up and turn around your marriage, Try grabbing the hand of your spouse and praying with her. It is a game changer. Moving on, moving on, moving on. It says this. Finally, we get to the problem that took place at this wedding. Here's what it says. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. So literally, the wine starts running out. Mary uh, gets this information and comes to Jesus and says, they have no wine. The wine has ran out. Isn't it interesting, right, that no matter how hard you plan, no matter how hard you try, there's always problems at weddings something always goes wrong at a wedding, right? What went wrong in your wedding? Think about it, right? It is, can you think about that thing that went wrong at your wedding that wasn't supposed to happen? I have so many stories that I could share about weddings that have gone wrong, like a blooper reel in my brain. I think about all the different bridesmaids that have literally passed out on stages. I think of the 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 you know the best man speech where all of a sudden it started to spew out family, like very sensitive drama, you know? Um, I think about the time where literally, the tent literally blew off during the middle of the wedding or one of my favorites was when i was with the groom before the ceremony and we're in the bathroom and he's getting the rings and everything all set and he literally drops the ring down the sink drain yeah so wedding's just about to start We're in the bathroom, we got the sink open, we're in our suits underneath. I don't know if I'm the plumber or the pastor. I mean, I don't know what's going on. We finally undo the sink, we get the ring and we make it ready in time for the wedding. Unreal, so many different stories. But back to the problem in Cana. This is what was going on. There's no wine at the wedding and this is a big problem. And some of you are like, yeah, no wine at the wedding. This is a big problem, what are they gonna do? But in that culture, it was even a bigger deal. Uh, if there was no wine. Why? Because it was not only trouble financially, but was also trouble socially for your reputation. If a groom did not have wine at the wedding or ran out of wine at the wedding, it would show the bride's parents that, hey, if you can't provide wine, then how are you going to provide for my daughter? And actually, if you ran out of wine or if you didn't have wine at the wedding, it was actually grounds for a lawsuit back then. Talk about already kicking off some family drama in that culture, in that context. And so Mary runs to Jesus, says, Jesus, here's the problem. What are we going to do? And hey, you know, Jesus, I know who you are. So maybe you could, you know, do a little, you know, magic or a little power. You know, if you could make something happen, I'd really appreciate that. And so here's what happens. Jesus says to his mom, says to Mary, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, you got to understand when he says woman, he's not saying woman. In that culture, when you would say woman, it was the idea of saying ma'am or miss or my lady. It was, it was polite. It was formal. But this was the beginning of the shift of the relationship between Jesus and his mom. This was the beginning of Jesus letting Mary in on, listen, I'm here for my father's business, not for my mama's business. This was the beginning of of, of that shift in their relationship of why are you bothering me with this information, Mary? Why are you doing this? But even though this was a question that Jesus said to his mom and he was dissatisfied with this question, didn't mean that he didn't have compassion for his mom still. You see, you have to remember, Mary as she lived her life raising Jesus, she was the talk. There was a lot of talk. There was a lot of rumors. There was a lot of gossip going around about Mary. Because remember, Mary experienced a virgin birth. But guess what? Not a lot of people believed that Mary actually had a virgin birth. People speculated, thought she was an adulterer, thought she was a fornicator. And in that culture, if you were caught and you had a baby out of wedlock, that was grounds to be stoned. And so, this was kind of, you know, she, she had an, a, most likely anxiety having to deal with people never believing her story. And so you got to imagine Mary's thinking, man, I can't wait for Jesus. I know who he is to actually start showing off and revealing who he is to the world. Because remember, this is gonna be the first public miracle of his his ministry. The moment, check this out, the moment that Jesus starts revealing who he is, it also starts revealing to the world that Mary wasn't crazy and that she was telling the truth. Just think about all the people that would finally come to Mary and and say, hey, I'm so sorry, I didn't believe you. And so this is kind of what's going on. This is what's taking place in the heart of Mary. And so then, Mary says to the servants, which most likely they weren't slaves because of the Greek here. This was most likely friends and family that were serving at the wedding. And she says this, say this wherever you're watching, do whatever he tells you. That's right. Do whatever. Whatever he tells you, wherever you're watching, I want you to circle that, I want you to underline that, I want you to mark that down. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever Jesus tells you. And more than just marking it down in your Bible, may we mark that down in our hearts to not push off Jesus' instruction, to not ignore him, to not push him off. Do what Jesus tells us to do. Young people that are listening, when it comes to your purity, do what Jesus tells you to do. Don't do what the world tells you to do and just give it away like it's nothing. Make it sacred. Wait till your wedding day. You will be blessed. When it comes to your finances and how you handle money, do what Jesus tells you to do, not what the world tells you to do, to be greedy and to steal and to cheat. But instead, do what he tells you to do to have integrity when it comes to your finances. When it comes to the the moment of your conscience where it starts to stop you in your tracks, stop pushing it off and ignoring it like I was doing with my daughter on that run to literally stop yourself and turn around. Where might you need to turn around and stop and listen to what's stirring inside of you to turn around? Maybe you need to cool off from your anger and turn around. Maybe you need to stop your lying and turn around. Maybe you need to stop your cheating and you need to turn around. Maybe you need to stop having too much to drink and turn around. Maybe you need to to let go of that bitterness and forgive that person and turn around. Maybe you need to stop looking at the stuff that you're looking at on the Internet. And you need to turn around. Maybe, just maybe, you need to stop running from the creator of the universe who's trying to get your attention and turn around and follow him. I mean, because come on, where do you think the conscience is coming from? You think it just comes out of nowhere? You think that, that 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 feeling that is trying to stop you in your tracks and get your attention is just out of nowhere? That is the creator of the universe, your designer trying to get your attention to turn around. You want your life to turn around? Start doing what Jesus tells you to do. It continues. It says in verse six. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. They they would have these different laws of purification that that when you would when you would. Um, um, Walk into a specific place or room or ritual that, that you would not wash just for physical cleanliness, but for spiritual cleanse, cleanliness. And that these jars were supposed—the water was supposed to come out of these stone jars, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, "Fill the jars with water," and they filled them up to the brim. Now these just weren't small jars; these were 20 to 30 gallon size jars. And so archaeology is dug up in this specific area, these types of jars uh, that they dug up. And so look at how, you know, these were some massive-sized jars. In our context, you know, day and age, just think of a 20 to 30-gallon garbage bucket, you know, and just imagine here we're going to see Jesus' first miracle literally turning Six of these filled to the brim, water into literal wine. This was going to be a complete turnaround of events when it came to this wedding. That's a lot of wine. Now, to save some emails that might come in, some of you might be wondering and asking this question. Is it bad to drink alcohol? And what I would just say is maybe we're asking the wrong question. Instead of asking, is alcohol bad for me? Maybe it's asking the question, is alcohol consumption best for me? In the scripture, it doesn't say that you can't drink alcohol. What it does say is that we're not supposed to get drunk, that we're not supposed to not be controlled by another substance. We need to be controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit. So each of us have to make that decision based on our conviction of where we might need to turn around when it comes to alcohol. You know, for me, in my life, uh, I made the decision not to drink. Now, don't put me on a pedestal of, oh, I'm holier than thou or I'm not judging any one of you that drinks. I'm saying for me and my personality, I have an addictive type personality. If you know me, if you put some Coke or some Dr. Pepper in front of me, I can't stop. I mean, I'm just like I have an addictive personality. I just want more and more and more and more and more. But also when it comes to my family heritage, there was some alcoholism that really destroyed some of my family's past. And so for me, it's like I just didn't really want a hint of that into my life because of the damage that it's done to my family's heritage. But also I had to look at my position and what is best for my position, for my surrounding, for my family, for my friends. Um, Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 14 that, um, you know to think about not doing things to allow our brothers or sisters to stumble in Galatians five, Paul also says, you know even though we have the freedom, but sometimes we need to lay down our liberties for what is best for my personality and for my position. so all that being said, you have to make that decision and ask what is the conscience, what is the spirit telling you and for some of you watching, you know you need to turn around when it comes to alcohol because You can't say no. You can't just have one drink. And you know that it's affecting not only you, but it's affecting those around you. And let this be a little sign for you to maybe listen and turn around when it comes to alcohol. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving on. And so here's how the miracle just is displayed. It says, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. and continues and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is was mind-blowing for people. This was uh, mind-blowing for the people that saw it behind the scenes of the sigh of relief. The wedding was saved. Man, who is this Jesus? Man, maybe Barry isn't as crazy as we thought. This was not just Jesus saving the bride and the groom from embarrassment, but this was also him giving them a generous gift because there was a lot of it, and it was worth a lot. So what does this show us? This shows us a couple things. That the world will try and offer you the best at first but then as it goes on it'll get worse and worse and worse until it gets you hooked just like we see with the wine it started in the culture you give the best and then you start bringing the bad stuff and not so good stuff and not so good stuff reminding us that the enemy isn't dumb the enemy is not an idiot The enemy lures us with things that look good, feel good, and taste good. And then once he grabs you, he hooks you in. And so we must be alert. We must stay on guard against the enemy. The other thing that this reminds us of is that the world will always run out. The world will always run out, but Jesus will always keep filling us up. You see, the world was longing for years, thousands of years, longing for a shift, longing for a turnaround, longing for hope that was restless, it was empty, it was disconnected, there was this severing between God and man, it was haunting their conscience, feeling this brokenness because of sin. But then God fixed it. God fixed it when he sent his son, Jesus And this event that we see, as verse 11 shows us, was the first sign that led to the ultimate turnaround. It says that this was the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Remember, this was the first public miracle of Jesus. So, How does this first public miracle, what what, what does this have to do with you in your life? Like, who cares? Why should you care about this first public miracle of Jesus turning water into wine? Let's just check out a couple pieces of symbolism. First, Jesus created something out of nothing, just like God did in Genesis chapter 1-1 when he created the heavens and the earth. The symbolism of the first time creating something from nothing. And if you're a skeptic, one of the first things you got to get by first is if you can believe the miracle that there is a God that created the heavens and the earth. And once you can do that, then all the other miracles that God displayed will be easier for you to hold on to. Another piece of symbolism that I don't want us to miss is this piece. Is that the first miracle that God did through Moses. You remember Moses. Moses was the one who parted the Red Sea, God parted the Red Sea through him. He was the one that helped deliver the Israelites out of slavery from the evil Pharaoh. You see, the evil Pharaoh was warned time and time and time again by God, but he was so stubborn that he would not turn around. So then God said, enough's enough. And so because you wouldn't turn around, because of your evilness, because of your sin, there will be judgment. And so the first miracle of Moses was when Through Moses, God turns the water of the Nile River into blood, which was a symbol of God's judgment. And now fast forward years later to Jesus, his first miracle, turning water into red wine as a symbol, not of judgment, not of a plague, but a present, a gift of grace that will never run out, that is filled up to the brim. It's plentiful. It's bountiful for all of us. And it's offered to all. Now, another thing, another symbol here is, I'll never forget watching this this depiction in the chosen series of when Jesus did this miracle. And in that, chosen series there on that wedding, it shows Jesus dipping his hands into the water. And as his hands came out of the water, the water water turned into wine and his hands was just dripping with red wine. And in that moment, it made me pause and ask the question, I wonder if in that moment when he did that, if he took a deep breath and said, and so it begins. I wondered if he looked at his red hands as a forecast to the red hands that would soon come upon him when he died for us and was brutally beaten on the cross. I I, I wonder when the water turned into wine and his hands came up, if he thought in his mind, here we go. I solved a little problem turning water into wine. I turned around a little problem here to set up how I'm going to turn around the biggest problem that ever was, and that is the sin problem of the world. When he died on a cross, becoming judgment, becoming the penalty for our sin and turn red for the world, turn red for you, turn red for me. Jesus turned The whole thing around up on its head by dying and rising again for us he was the ultimate turnaround miracle maker but be that turnaround miracle that he had on the cross and the resurrection if you're listening means nothing for you if you've never turned around to him but what does it mean to turn around for him what does it mean to turn around for Jesus And Jesus made it very clear. He made it very clear multiple different times about the idea of turning around is this idea of repentance. He talks about it a lot. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Then he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The idea of repentance, it comes from this this word, this, this, this Greek word called metanaeo. This Greek word, go to the next one, this metanaeo, which meta is this idea of a movement or a change. And naeo is this idea of the mind, your thoughts, your perception, your purpose. And so repentance is this idea of to To have a shift, to have a change, to have a turnaround in the mind. And then once you turn around in your mind, then your behavior will start to change and become more like your Savior. But that's after the fact. Repentance is first changing, turning around of the mind. So it's also this, it's, it's more than just saying I'm sorry. It's more than just having regret or remorse. It's the idea of shifting your thoughts in the mind. Well, what is the shift? What are those shifts what is what do you need to recognize when you think of repentance here's some things that we have to recognize when it comes to repentance we have to get to the point that you're not god you're not god and you never will be god just getting to that point lowering your pride that i'm not god and i never will be repentance is also recognizing that you're flawed. that you've got blood on your hands and that you're responsible for it you've made mistakes you're a sinner. And then it's repentance is recognizing that you desperately are in need of a savior and that savior is only Jesus. You wanna have a turnaround in your life, turn to Jesus. It's like going full circle back to the first story of Lena and I riding our bikes. And remember what she said, we were in the car and she got to the point Where she leaned in in the truck and hugged me and said, Daddy, thank you for turning around for me. Have you ever gotten to the point where you said to the Father, the Creator, and said, thank you for making a way and turning it all around for me? If you haven't, that thing that's stirring inside of you, that's not there by accident. Turn around to Jesus today, and I wanna give you that opportunity right now and so wherever you're watching wherever you're listening maybe that's you and you just say I want to lead you into a real prayer between you and God make it real between you and him and just say father I'm done running from you just say that out loud I'm done running from you you've stopped me in my tracks today and now I'm turning around for you I believe that you are are the savior who can save me. I know I'm a sinner, forgive me for it. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again for me. And then just say this right now, I receive you Jesus to be the king of my life. As we continue to pray, if you meant that, the scripture is so clear that you will no longer perish because of your repentance. But now you will have life, real life that starts now and it lasts forever. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you so much for turning it around for us to give us hope, to give us life. Father, help us as your followers to not push you off when we know we need to make shifts and turnarounds in specific areas of our lives. We love you and we thank you. We pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen.